biggest games. Biggest events. Wow, the crowd is on their feet. The biggest stories. This is what you signed up for, Seth. I thought it was just in the game. Welcome to the ESPN Esports Podcast. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the ESPN Esports Podcast. I know it's been a long time. It's been like three weeks, but I have an excuse. I was in China covering the League of Legends World Championship. Um, I missed you guys. And it's been a while, but we're back and we're live. And I'm here on the desk today with Elaine Tang, with Jacob joining us after the break to talk about franchising news for the NALCS. Elaine, how are you today? Good. How are you? Happy to be here. I'm good. Um, Elaine was with me covering the World Championship. So um, how's the jet lag? I'm uh, I'm still recovering. I've discovered mornings because, you know, the jet lag has hit <laughs> me and I can't stay up as late anymore. Right, right. So today the topic of our podcast is going to be wrapping up worlds. We learned a lot while we were in China. Um, what worked, what didn't, and what our biggest takeaways are. And let's start off with our experience with the scalpers in China. Um, when we were there, they pretty much took up the entire side of whatever sidewalk that you had to get into to get into the stadium. And it was kind of madness, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, especially in the first for the quarterfinals in Guangzhou, like we were there was a uh, mall that was about a block away from the actual venue. And so we would go there for lunch all the time before the before the event. And even just coming out of the mall, you would start hearing people asking you if they, you are you were either buying or selling tickets. And all the way for like the fifteen minute walk to the venue, you would just have this incessant like buying, selling, buying, selling question all the way. Right, and they were selling these tickets for like absurd amounts of money. Yeah, I mean tickets were really hard to come by. I mean, you like the whole way. Like, if we had one theme that was constant, was the fans telling us how hard it was to get tickets, or people trying to buy tickets outside. Like foreigners, especially, couldn't get visas until uh pretty close to the event so they could or they had to get visas pretty early like months in advance and tickets weren't on sale yet and so a lot of people would just buy would have flown to china had their visas and everything and then had to buy tickets on the spot from scalpers so it seemed to be a logistical nightmare in that way yeah for sure and i mean we got to we got the chance to talk to a bunch of fans and security and i like how our biggest takeaway from that was that a lot of the security there weren't actually security but they were fans trying to get into the um, world championship through other means yeah exactly like especially in shanghai which is where the semifinals were um we were talking i noticed that the on the floor that the security were really young in comparison to Guangzhou, where a lot of the guys were you know older men and they didn't quite understand what was going on it was kind of funny um they were all really young and i started talking to them and they were saying that <clears throat> they only applied to be security guards so that they could get in and watch the event because they couldn't get tickets otherwise right and i like how we were freaking out we were like what if actually hits the fan yeah. like, who's going to protect us like i don't I, I don't know if i trust you yeah for sure i mean i asked the guy i was like do you have any did they train you and he was like no so, <laughs> like, all right yeah that hopefully was... nobody storms the stage <laughs> and uh let's talk about the finals really quick in beijing because that's when the ticket prices really soared to epic proportions it was we heard people offering us tickets for like ten thousand yuan yeah, it was. I mean, people. I mean, if, of course, you have to negotiate with them. So I imagine that the 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 final price would be lower. But it was, you know, it was very significant amounts of money, like thousands of yuan. Were in a country where you know people don't make nearly that much money per month. Um, so that was pretty insane. Um, and scalpers were saying that they could make 
their living off of doing this, like that in a good month, they made a thousand US dollars. And, you know, that would hopefully be a good month for them because there were a lot, there was a lot of demand for tickets. Right. And I wonder what Riot is going to do to combat these measures in the future. Um, I, I mean, I feel like China is a very unique place where people are really able to buy their tickets instantaneously so that fans can't really get their hands on them. So I wonder what Riot wants to hold worlds in China again in the future. Like, what are they going to seriously do to combat these scalpers? Because it's really preventing fans from getting inside the stadium. Yeah, I remember that when we were at the press conference with the uh, Riot um, guys, the the (laughs) higher-ups at at Riot, you asked them that question. I don't remember what they said, though. Yeah, I... If we don't remember, then it probably wasn't very significant of an answer. (laughs) But I do like how when they walked in, I don't know if we can put this on the podcast, but when they walked in, Elaine was like, they look like four frat bros who just like strolled in after. Well, it was just the jeans with or the the ties with the the sneakers. Yeah. Anyway, let's not put that on there. They'll they'll hate us. (laughs) I mean, it's uh, too late. It's already there, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One other thing I want to talk about. Since we've covered our scalpers, um, I want to talk about fans being upset at SKT losing or fans being mad at the camera focusing on Faker crying afterwards. There seemed to be this kind of unreal outrage. I, I couldn't believe it as I was looking on Twitter of how many fans are genuinely upset at Riot for panning the camera onto Faker who is crying. Um, I mean, the unkillable Demon King has been slayed. That's a pretty significant part of League of Legends history. So what were your thoughts on that? I mean, like you said, like, I couldn't believe that that was something. Well, one, I couldn't believe it happened, that he actually lost. (laughs) And two, that I couldn't believe that people were upset by that because that is what sports and entertainment are, right? I mean, if they didn't show Faker's reaction, that is really the outrageous thing because this is a moment, one of the most significant moments in League of Legends history. And when people look back, they're going to want to see that footage. And, like, that's what people want to see. Like, what would you show otherwise? And so the fact that people thought that, you know, he was being bullied or picked on is just incredible to me because as an as an athlete, as an entertainer, as a gamer, whatever you want to say that he is like, that's part of the role. You can't just follow your heroes when they're doing well. You also have to follow them when they're when they're losing. And that perhaps makes it I'm sure Faker himself would say that it makes him tougher. Yeah. When he comes back and kills everyone next year. Yeah, absolutely. that would be part of it. <laughs> yeah. And Tyler made a really good point in his piece yesterday about the emotion of esports. And how Fager has basically been heralded as, like, this untouchable machine who has, like, no emotion when he plays League of Legends. So for him to show that kind of humanity on stage, I think that's a very significant part. Because we always joke about, like, oh, look at Fager. He's being a robot again. Yeah. Uh, No surprise there. Whatever. Um, But this implies it's something. And, like, it's something you can look back on. And... It's something that captures the brutal honesty of loss and failure. In yeah. A way. And it makes him more interesting as a person, as a player as well to his fans. And I hope that they understand that. Yeah, for sure. And also, I mean, as a Samsung fan, like <laughs> what this means for Ambition, who has had like the longest lasting rivalry with Faker, it just feels so sweet. And um, another story that went up yesterday was Emily's feature on Ambition or rather the journey of Ambition. So. So many times people have called for him to retire, to quit. He's washed up, whatever. And I mean, I was just thinking back to when Ambition got solo killed by Faker in Faker's first debut match and how basically his legacy just like stopped there. And I don't know, it must be super sweet for him. Yeah. And he got married recently. So it's just a good year for Ambition. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I I was telling you during Worlds that my dream was that (laughs) his wife was there and that they would pan the cameras to her, her crying, and then Ambition would walk straight off stage, 
go up to her and just like give her a big hug slash kiss. You're ready fan fiction again, Rachel. I know. But it would have been a great moment. I know. I mean, it happens in other sports. It does. Why not? Yeah. It's a much better moment than the fans cheering for RNG instead of Samsung when they won. Yeah, that was so uncool. And the sad thing is this wasn't the first time that this has happened. Last year, I think during the semifinals when it was in Chicago, the fans just started booing Samsung off the stage. And I was just like, okay, I get it. It's yeah, right. It's it's fan culture, whatever. You're allowed to boo, be upset, whatever. But, you know, when they win the world championship, I feel like that's a pretty good time to just sort of like respect them, give them the respect they deserve. And the way they won it, too. I mean, they 3 owed him and it was a rematch of last year. It was all crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It makes me wonder if SKT is going to completely disband their roster, which I know you're very upset I'm about. I'm very upset about because Peanut and Hooney are the best, <laughs> even if they didn't play well. Yeah, for sure. Um, the last point I want to talk about is, was hosting in China a success or failure for Riot? And do you think Riot will host in China again? That's a good question. Um, I'd want to know what Riot thinks of that. But just from our experience there, I would say that, you know, I had a great time, but uh, it is quite a difficult place to have worlds just because there's so many rules and so many just unnecessary obstacles. Like a lot of the rules are designed not to perhaps, you know, you can't see the end goal there. You can't see that they're meant to protect anyone or they're meant to make things easier. Sometimes it just feels like it's there to make your life harder and to kind of exert the power of the government over or, or whoever um, over you. And so I imagine that for Riot, it was really difficult. And I think it's incredible that they pulled off what they did. If I were them, I would not be in a rush to go back there. Yeah, I I sort of had that experience there where it's like, I guess if you're a viewer on Twitch, it might have seemed like an immediate success with the viewership numbers. And also just it's hard to see the behind the stage stuff, which we got to witness a lot. And I think I was sort of lost in a lot of the allure of like hosting an event as grand and big as this, because um, as we were like, as we were wandering around during the finals during in the bird's nest, I realized that a lot of the people there were just like not sure what was going on. Like the security, for example, there would be moments where I would be trapped in these areas because the security on either side that were guarding the entrance and exits didn't know whether or not I was allowed to leave. And it kind of left a bad taste in my mouth because I was just wondering, like, I don't know if Riot feels comfortable handing off their production to a third com- third party company in the future where they have very little freedom and control of what happens behind the scenes. Yeah. One of my favorite moments, the bird's nest is my least favorite place in the world now, just because we spent so much time walking in circles and being trapped in, by various security <laughs> guards. Um, but one of my favorite moments was when I was, I was on my like second lap around trying to get my, get back to the press room and I couldn't get out because the security, one security would say go left and then the other one said go right, et cetera, et cetera. And I finally ran into two guys from Riot. And I was like, you guys tell me where to go because this is your event and you should like, you know where it is. Right. And they were like, no, we've been doing the exact same thing you've been. And then we kind of the three of us like pushed our way out. So I am so sorry. I did not hear about this. Um, Definitely getting that exercise in, I guess. But I it makes me wonder, like, where are they going to host it next year? And I'm really secretly hoping that it's going to be South Korea. But fingers crossed. It's so you can go meet Ambition. Absolutely. <laughs> and also just think about like the kind of stories you can do while we're in Korea. That's true. That would be really good for us. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Come on, right? You can hear this, right? <laughs> uh, I know you would prefer Europe over. Wait, would you prefer Europe? I mean, m- maybe just because it would be f- I could do lots of sightseeing and friend seeing. But mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> for sure. 
Also, um, and one last point I wanted to touch on was Worlds was a really long event. It was four weeks long in China. And to pull off that kind of um, that task is no easy feat. So honestly, props to Riot for getting that job done. Yeah, for um, sure. Navigating all the different logistics of all the different cities couldn't have been easy. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we had enough trouble yeah. <laughs> yeah. as journalists just being yeah. there. And we speak the language. Yeah. So I couldn't imagine trying to navigate around. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, more ESPN Esports in a moment, but first we'd like to hear from you. Whether you're new to the podcast or have been listening for some time, we'd like to know how we're doing. So leave us a rating and a review. And if you like what you hear, make sure you're subscribed so we're easy to find next time. And if you subscribe in the ESPN app, we can send you an alert whenever we have a new episode. And you can always tweet us your thoughts at ESPN underscore Esports or at ELTang12, our lovely guest Elaine. And we're back with the ESPN Esports podcast with Jacob joining us. Jacob, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. All right. Let's talk about LCS franchising part 1 million blah, 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 blah. Um, This is a preview for Jacob's one-on-ones with various people from different teams who are entering the LCS, the Warriors, the Cavs, etc. To give everyone a rundown on the franchise teams, we have Cloud9, CLG, Echo Fox, Team Liquid, TSM, FlyQuest, the Cavs, Rockets, Warriors, and Optic Gaming. Exiting teams, Team NVS, Phoenix One, and Dignitas. Uh, Jacob. And Immortals. Oh, and Immortals. I was Don't just going to say, how could you forget Immortals, Rachel? I'm so sorry. I Actually, that's my next point. Immortals being rejected left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths, but a lot of people also seem to think that it wasn't a sustainable... That their model of um, revenue wasn't sustainable in the long terms, and that's why they got rejected. So I want to know your thoughts on everything, Jacob. I mean, I think that that was a big part of it. I think there was kind of a multi-part reason, but I think one of the biggest parts was that um, Immortals has a lot of investment. So it's not that they couldn't afford it. It was that they make very little revenue, if any at all. And so really, like, their book is very in the net loss category, from my understanding. So when you look at that and you look at this league that is about to have a revenue sharing pool where every team takes money out of the pool and contributes to the pool from their merchandising and their sponsorship, what is Immortals going to contribute to that? Because they're not making any money um, in the profit category. So essentially they're just going to be taking from the pool. And I think that the first year, next year, I think there will be a couple of the existing teams that do the same. But I don't think they'll do it at the same ratio that Immortals would. So I think that that is a really big part of it. Yeah, I think most of the fan reaction was like, Immortals is such a, is so good at marketing. They're really good at branding themselves. It's a shame if they don't return because they had the semblance of, or they have um, sort of the mask of being a really put together team where behind the scenes, it's actually kind of murky and a lot of... There's a lot of good reasons why Immortals shouldn't be in the NALCS, and a lot of it has to do with them not earning a good revenue. Yeah. I think it's really just Elaine's fault, to be honest. It's a tragedy. I'm still upset about it. Should we explain to everyone what the Elaine or the ESPN curse is? It's the ESPN yes, curse, not the Elaine curse. Um, Elaine, I feel like you should explain this since you're the one who is cursing all these teams. I really don't understand where this came from, but essentially any team that I take an interest in or want to do a story on ends up having something disastrous happen to them, like not making worlds. And then, and then eventually, <laughs> you know, not making the NALCS. 
So how far we've come? Yeah. Well, I mean, but、um, aside from your terrible curse, like, what are your thoughts on Immortals not making that ALCS? I mean, obviously, as a fan, I am very disappointed, and I'm very interested to see where all those players end up.、Um, but at the same time, I mean, if it's ultimately for the good of the LCS, and then I'm pleased, I guess. I mean, that is a really hard thing for me to say. Yeah.、Um, but、uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of the Immortals marketing was very savvy. I mean, they were the winningest team of the regular season, their first season, and that was a crazy run, even though it ultimately ended in disappointment. Um, and then their second year, they kind of turned, had this dramatic turnaround. So I can understand why people are disappointed because it is such a kind of a compelling story to tell, especially in contrast to like you know the eternal juggernaut of TSM and all of that. But you know,、right. ultimately, it's the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, money's what talks, and that's how the Cavs, Warriors, and Rockets ended up accepted for franchising. I wonder how they're how successful they're going to be because take a look at the Seventy Sixers and Dignitas who ended up. Not getting in this split, can we honestly say traditional sports entering the league is going to guarantee success, Jacob? You know, I really like a lot of the folks at the Seventy Sixers. I think that they're fairly good people,、um, but I don't necessarily think that the people that run Team Dignitas are,、uh, you know, very well regarded when it comes to Riot Games and other companies.、Um, there's some internal people that definitely stick out as.、Uh, Such as the、uh, Slan family, who ran the League of Legends team there, and previously ran Apex and Coast.、Um, they've basically, you know, they've had some issues with Riot. They've had some issues with the community and with players, and, and you know, I really don't think that that helped their case. So I don't think that the Sixers are the best test case. I think that they weren't hands-on enough. They didn't really clear house.、Um, Whereas the Rockets and the Warriors and the Cavaliers will all be starting fresh,、uh, they're going to be building things from ground up.、Um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of baggage around any of that, aside from some ownership conflicts with the Warriors, which they're currently working on. And aside from that, I, I actually think they can be successful. I think it's just going to take some time. Yeah, and I wonder how they're going to, or what their plans are to build their own teams. I know Lane really wants Power of Evil on one of them.、Um, probably not likely going to happen. Just Sorry, so、Lane. I can curse someone else. I know, seriously.、Um, but yeah, I wonder. I mean, what is that structure going to look like? Are they going to hire endemic esports personnel to manage their esports team so that they have a better chance of success? That seems to be the case. Yes. Okay, that's it. <laughs> Can't give us any、uh, more yeah, information. I mean, like I, yeah. I expect to see some very familiar faces in terms of coaching staff、um, when it comes to the basketball teams and their new brands.、Uh, I think, from a management perspective, you're going to see a little bit of a mix from people from venture capital, but also people that have been in esports. So, I think you're going to have、uh, a little bit of everything.、Hmm, okay. And something else that was kind of interesting. I you, last time we talked, the EU LCS. Was going to geolocate, and they were not going to franchise. And now they are jumping on the franchising bandwagon. And I'm kind of wondering where that decision came from. Was it from all the backlash on Reddit from fans?、Um, can you give us a little insight on, into that, Jacob? So I think the geolocation thing was was pretty much like a whiteboard idea. I think it was something they had been discussing for a while, but it definitely not hard committed to.、Um, So the goal is、uh, for EULCS is that everyone wants to be able to be profitable, 
and that's currently not the case. A lot of them are taking investment in and making no money uh, back. And so you you look at the way you fix that, and NA's answer was, was franchising. You know, we're going to have this revenue-sharing pool. We're going to get a deal like the BAMTech deal, and we're going to split it up among the teams from a pool that we create. And uh, EU is probably going to be something similar. And I think it's kind of ridiculous because a few people said that H2K stood alone, and uh, that is definitely not the case. So unicorns will all come out a little bit later, and then uh, there were a lot of people that that stood with H2K just kind of privately and not you know not in the same public manner. You look at the four teams that applied for NA: Misfits, Fanatic, Splice, and G2, and that was a statement as well. I think that that you know really made Riot look at it and go, "Man, none of these people want to participate in EU." I guess that we should do something about that. I think from from there, it went from that regional idea to franchising. Yeah, and I think it's also a desperate attempt for the ULCS to cling on to their talent because, as we've heard in the offseason, there are a lot of rumors of G2 members leaving for NA for greener, greener pastures, and franchising is a big component in their decision to leave. There's just more financial stability, more job security. And I think the ULCS made a really big mistake in making that announcement about geolocation early on if it wasn't going to come to fruition if it was just a whiteboard idea like you said it was a really great way of inciting panic in a lot of people and i think in the long term it might it might actually be a good thing for them because now that they know what the reaction is to geolocation and of players threatening to leave their region i think that they have made a better decision to franchise the ulcs as well i agree and also that means, um, well, I mean, it's, I think it's already too late for some players, unfortunately. As we know, a lot of players are, um, I, I don't know if we can drop drop the wolf bomb on the podcast yet, but um, <laughs> wolf bomb. I know um, a lot of players are already planning to leave. So we'll see how that works yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, on Tuesday, I after Tuesday, because Tuesday is the time that they can all start signing contracts. I certainly expect a number of EU players to sign with North American teams. Um, everything is not final yet, so I don't want to throw myself on the fire. But, uh, yeah, certainly, certainly we'll do so, I think, over the next couple of weeks. Elaine, who's one player you want to see in NA? Um, well, I think you already added me earlier, but I would love to see uh, Misfits Power of Evil come over to NA where we can better watch him. <laughs> yeah, can you please elaborate on, on why? What? Jacob? He said on stream that he wants to come to NA. So well, there you go. See, our dreams are coming true. And now whatever team he will go to, I can curse. Can you explain to fans how you suddenly became a Misfits fan? <laughs> well, I wouldn't say, I mean, I guess it was pretty sudden, but please, you're making me sound like a Fairweather fan here. Uh, but basically, we met them when we were over in China for Worlds and spent some time with them in their hotel. And not like that. Oh, my God. That's really Can I start that sentence over again? <laughs> <laughs> that's like, that's, I like that. that <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so we met with Misfits when we were over there in China and spent some time with them hanging out and talking to them. And they were all just such a charming group in Power of Evil uh, was especially, you know, charismatic, and he supports the same soccer team as me, which is Borussia Dortmund. And so, obviously, I had to, you know, he's a great person, inherently. Um, <laughs> inherently, <laughs> just okay. based on that. Um, and then we watched that great series between SKT and Misfits, and, you know, I was cheering for Misfits the whole time. And then afterwards, uh, I saw them, uh, behind, you know, 
at the press conference and Power People looked really sad and I apologized to him for what happened and, you know, said that he played a great game and we he gave me a hug. So now I am forever a Power People fan. See, if Elaine didn't cheer for Misfits, they probably would have been SKT. That's possible. Yeah, I mean, that's why that's why she should have apologized because it's really just her fault anyway. Thanks, Jacob. I feel great now. Oh, my God, Jacob. <laughs> uh, um, one, one last point I wanted to ask was, what was the application process like for the Rockets, Warriors, Cavs, etc.? I imagine it wasn't an easy application. What was the criteria for Riot to, you know, to, I guess, pull the correct applicants for their new league? Uh, so the application process was uh, that if you wanted to be a part of the league, you inquired with Riot, and they sent you this application outline, which I've seen, which has four different parts. Uh, and in this four-part document, you are supposed to create applications uh, and send them in. So some of these applications range from 15 pages to 250 pages. Oh, uh, so very Not wow. very thorough and then extremely thorough um, on the other end of that. So uh, I would say the average average application probably ranged uh, somewhere around 100 pages. I think that that was fair. And they had teams go all out with a lot of these applications. Some of them were hiring people that uh, were were professors at like Harvard's business school and things like that. Like just very high class, very intelligent people writing their application on their behalf. And so. Uh, the application process for the Rockets, the Cavs, and the Warriors, from my understanding, is was very predicated on uh, basketball's merits. The sense that the NBA and its teams are very good at social media marketing. They're very good at creating brands. They're very good at creating uh, interest and selling merchandise and that that sort of thing. And so these applications were, you know, this is what we've done with the audience in the NBA, which is younger than most traditional sports. And this is what we want to do in esports is we want to build these brands. Um, for many of them, it was kind of all over the place. Uh, so the Warriors, actually, we wrote this yesterday. The Warriors applied themselves, and now it's ultimately probably not going to be owned by the Warriors because they have some ownership conflicts with Team Liquid and Cloud9 that probably won't see the owners in Team Liquid or Cloud9 walk away. So um, we'll probably be owned by a third party that has overlapping ownership with the Warriors. Uh, the Rockets actually is the most simple. The Rockets is owned by the Rockets, which is owned by Tillman Ferretta, so there's literally no conflict at all, and there's nothing special. You know, or it's just very straightforward. And then the Cavaliers is going to be um, owned and operated by several Dan Gilbert businesses, which uh, Dan Gilbert being the owner of Quicken Loans and the Cleveland Cavaliers. And so um, – the Cavs will have a little bit of involvement. Some of his venture capital firms will have a little bit of involvement. So it kind of goes around. And uh, we haven't actually mentioned the brand names. So the brand names for these teams. Oh, I totally forgot the about Warriors, that. This is Jacob's favorite part. Yeah, the, I know. <laughs> the Warriors team is uh, named the Golden Guardians. I like the that. Rock- Eight out of ten. I, re- <laughs> I disagree. I really why don't, why don't like you like Golden it? Because I just imagine the Guardians of the fan. Galaxy as like Steph Curry. <laughs> All right, I guess that's one way of looking at it. Who are the others, Jacob? Uh, the Rockets are Clutch City Gaming. Do not like that. Like. I, I like it. But I think 10. CCG and CLG will get confusing fast, though. 
That's a good I think, point. I think that I like Clutch City Gaming because it has some meaning to it. It's not just like a name. Right? Like I don't know. New York Excelsior has meaning to it, and we all know how we feel about that. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's just bad. I got a press release this morning from the creative agency that came out with New York Excelsior. I, I like the I like the abbreviation of NYXL. I think that's cool. I like that too, but yeah. it's just go but with the, that. The flag <laughs> is ugly, uh, or whatever that is. If it's a flag, I don't know if it's a flag. It looks like a flag. Wait, Jacob, um, did I tell you how I, I try to rebrand the New York Excelsior? I actually drew a logo. I'll show you when you're in the office, but I decided they should name themselves the New York Empire. Isn't that much better? See, that would be state? better. And that that's still a New York thing. Yeah, anyway, uh, yeah exactly. Yeah. The last the the last team is uh or the Cavaliers team is a hundred thieves, which is a shot started brand Call of Duty and a merchandising brand that he's had that is now gonna be used for the purpose of uh Counter Strike and League of Legends teams. I so. don't know how I feel about that. I don't really like teams with numbers in them. I just I don't understand yeah, what it has to do with the Cavaliers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess. Oh, we forgot. We forgot to mention. I think in the in the uh, intro, uh, did we mention Optic? Optic is now in the league. That's yeah, we the mentioned the other new team. Don't worry, I mentioned Optic. Yeah, Don't she, worry. Oh, the only team she forgot was Immortals, yeah, which I, I take very Immortals. personally. <laughs> yep. I'm actually so, very hey, excited just, about Optic. That just means that they're that just means that they're forget or they're forgettable. Jacob, they're not even dead yet, and you've already swept them away. I mean. I'm sorry they are. Okay. <laughs> In League of Legends, at least. <laughs> I mean, you can become an Overwatch fan and root for the LA Valiant. Right. I think the best Overwatch name by far, which we've debated lots, uh, is the London Spitfire. It's historic. We did not it agree has, on this. What? This is my we opinion. Did not we did not agree on this. Yours is the NY Excelsior, so I no, don't really no, know what you mean no, here. No, no, no. I only defend them when other people talk trash, but I'm allowed to talk trash because I'm from New York. That is all. I like I like the Spitfire, but I also like Soul Dynasty uh, and the Tiger. It's good. Everything, like we said earlier, everything is just so abstract. Yes. Like, what are all these? Yeah. Have something concrete. Like, I like the Shanghai Dragons. Like, I just want to know what their mascots are going to be for all of these very abstract concepts like Valiant and Mayhem and Fuel and Dynasty. Like, what are they going to yeah. get? <laughs> Yeah, fuel is a I still strange think one. Fuel, I still think fuel is the most ironic name in the league, though. Just as an aside, because they're literally owned by an oil investor. Well, it's on brand. Like. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob, who are you rooting for? An Overwatch league? I don't have a horse in this race. Who are you rooting for uh, in the new? Means. Who are you rooting for in the new NL, NALCS? I don't. I don't root for anyone. I'm not supposed to. This is not supposed to be how this goes down. That's, I oh think my everybody god! Everyone roots for someone. Mina Kimes roots for the I Seahawks. Think, it's not a big deal. Who are you rooting for? I think. I think everybody knows who my original fan fan allegiance was in the LCS, and they're still in the LCS. So oh, I, I'll just. Stick I know with that. it's Cloud Nine, of course. Oh. Yeah, indeed, it was. Yeah. Some, sometimes I forget you're a Cloud Nine fan. Is it Jensen, Jacob? <laughs> No, it was actually way before that. It was the, uh, I guess in theory, I should be a FlyQuest fan at this point, because it was the uh, FlyQuest team is when I became a fan. I think it's Jensen. (laughs) (laughs) Or formerly known as Incarnation. Yeah. Um, Cloud 9B. (laughs) Uh, Jacob, any last words on franchising in the NALCS? What are you looking forward to, et cetera? 
I'm looking forward to seeing if this can finally become a sports league, right? I think that a lot of what the NALCS has been over the last few years is a marketing arm for Riot's game, and I really hope that's kind of what Overwatch preached against LCS and preached in favor of themselves was, you know, Riot's always just going to have that as a marketing arm where we want to be a sports league, but I actually think the LCS can be a sports league, and I think that uh, with some work and now that everybody's a little bit more involved and there's revenue sharing and things like that, that maybe it can be. Uh, you know, you look at the NFL and even the worst teams like Cleveland Browns are profitable by a very significant margin because of all the television rights deals that the NFL has. And I really hope that there's a day in the LCS where everyone, including the new teams, makes money. All right. Well, here's to hoping. I have many thoughts on that, by the way, but we can dive into that in another podcast because we're all out of time right now. Uh, That's all we have for the podcast today. Thank you, Elaine and Jacob, for joining me. And for more esports content, you can check out ESPN.com slash esports, or you can follow us on Twitter at Rachel Youngu, at Jacob and Wolf, and at ELTang12. And our lovely podcast producer, Tarika, is at SheKnowsSports underscore. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Esports Podcast.